Hello, everyone, and welcome to this latest episode of the podcast. My name is Richard Bryant, and I am your host. It's May 19th, 2020. This is the Corona Chronicles, Day 68. Our top story comes from our friends at Stage Directions. The IATSE endorses Joe Biden for President of the United States. IATSE's General Executive Board voted unanimously Monday to extend its endorsement to former Vice President Joe Biden for for President of the United States. Former Vice President Biden has an extensive record and history of fighting for workers' rights and working families, but he's also genuinely concerned on a human level about the welfare of behind-the-scenes entertainment workers. Recently, the Biden campaign hosted an unemployment town on how COVID-19 is specifically impacting entertainment workers. Members of Local 764 and Local 1 were invited to share their experiences during this pandemic and pose questions on how Joe Biden will address the unique challenges that those working in the entertainment industry will continue to face as we seek to recover from this unprecedented health crisis. Labor unions are under assault, with policies under the current administration and across the country undermining workers' collective bargaining rights and stripping union workers of the wages, benefits, and retirement security they deserve. Joe Biden has consistently lifted up and prioritized issues affecting IATSE members and their families, from protecting workers' rights to organizing a union and bargain for higher wages and better benefits, to defending our earned pension checks and health care. His campaign also engaged the IATSE and working people in the development of the Biden plan for strengthening worker organizing, collective bargaining, and unions, the only remaining candidate to reach out on such an effort. If elected, Biden has pledged to sign the Protecting the Right to Organize Act into law, champion legislation banning so-called right-to-work laws, appointment, appoint members to the National Labor Relations Board who will protect workers, increase workplace safety and health, and ensure freelance entertainment workers receive the legal benefits and protections they deserve by making it harder for employers to misclassify workers as independent contractors. Joe Biden presents a stark and undeniable contrast from the current administration with regard to leadership and support for working people. From our friends at What's On Stage, the Derby Theater. Theaters can be a key ally in regenerating communities. Many venues have warned of the significant problems that will follow without further support. This article was written by Alex Wood. Derby Theatre, the Royal Court, and more have warned of the future of the arts if further support isn't given. Writing a testimonial to the Digital, Cultural, Media, and Support Committee about the ongoing crisis in the arts sector during the coronavirus lockdown, Derby Theatre stated bluntly that the industry has been decimated since all spaces were forced to close down in March. Theater also warned in its testimonial that a lack of consistent funding will cause venues to be less adventurous and more likely to bring in safe bets. The industry needs investment to be able to take risks. For those from the most diverse backgrounds, this may be a blow from which they never recover as pathways into the industry become more complex. But it also emphasized how vital the arts will be going forwards. Theaters are civically engaged and can be seen as a key ally in regenerating communities the economy, and supporting the health and well-being of our society. London's Royal Court repeated such thoughts in its own testimonial, provided by Executive Director Lucy Davies. 
For Davies, there's a big risk that marginalized voices and people of color are pushed aside to prioritize a core, top-picket price theater-going audience. Davies has offered a number of solutions to the ongoing issues in her testimonial, including partnerships with broadcasters and networks, as well as digging into communities at a much more civic, operational level to shore up social fragility and change. She also believes that venues should aspire towards leaning, leaning more heavily into talent development, thinking globally about future collaborations. The Theaters Trust stated in their testimonial, the post-war rebuilding of the nation saw the creation of the Arts Council of Great Britain in an attempt to preserve the culture of the UK and Theaters Trust hope. A similarly ambitious plan will create a cultural zenith where the British public can once again meet and celebrate storytelling and further a rich theatrical tradition. Other testimonials come from the likes of Shakespeare's Globe, who warned that they could face closure without government support. Page 2. From the stage.com.uk, supply companies were planning for the worst and hoping for the best. As theaters stand dark, the situation has become a ticking time bomb for suppliers who are facing mounting costs from landlords, leasing companies, and the tax man. Theo Osanke speaks to some of the industry's leading suppliers about the long-term impacts of lockdown. All areas of the theater industry have been hit hard by the coronavirus lockdown, but supply companies in particular have found themselves in a difficult predicament. With the productions and events that equip with lighting and sound kit, sets, props, and costumes now shut down, they have lost almost all of their business, but the bills they pay, whether in rent or loan payments, have continued to stack up. Chris Headlam, managing director of Orbital Sound in South London, describes the situation as a ticking time bomb. The major problem, as he describes it, is that much of the cutting-edge equipment on loan to theaters and live events, which is still in situ in many cases, has been brought on higher purchase agreements. When producers pay to rent it, suppliers can make a profit margin, but with venues currently dark, their ability to pay off these loans is in jeopardy. If you switch off one end of the supply chain, but the other end carries on, that's where you end up with a very dangerous situation, Hedlum says. He predicts that without help, many companies in the sector will be out of business by the summer. Friday, suppliers called on the government for support, publishing a 10-point plan in an open letter. The letter was written in collaboration with industry colleagues by Brian Raven, managing director of White Light, one of the industry's leading lighting suppliers. He agrees that the current environment is extremely challenging. While he is confident the company can weather the storm, he is nevertheless braced for a drastic reduction in demand. We expect the company to reduce in size by 20 to 30 percent after lockdown, he says. It's not about saving money in the short term, but about recognizing that the markets we supply, including theater, broadcast, and corporate events, are sadly going to take a hit. Of these markets, broadcast is recovering most quickly as TV companies scramble to fill empty schedules over the summer. White Light has even constructed a temporary TV studio in its warehouse to meet demand, but the outlook for theater is far more uncertain. Raven feels that if shows can start reopening in some form in the autumn, in time for the Christmas seasons, the financial blow will be much easier to cushion. But, he fears the ramifications of a longer closure, if we have to wait until next year, I'm not sure what state the industry will be in. We're planning for the worst and hoping for the best. Raven points out that, as with Orbital, White Light's costs, ordinarily it has 260 staff and a 40 million pound million turnover, are still ongoing. The challenge is that nobody is giving us any waivers. Our landlords, leasing companies, the taxman, no one is giving us grants. Our clients still have our kit, 
but they're not paying for it currently, so it's going to leave a big dent in the financial fortunes of the supply industries. As is the case for many sectors, the furlough scheme has been crucial in keeping companies in the supply industry afloat. Angels, one of the leading country's leading costume suppliers, has furloughed its entire team of 150, besides management, who are meeting daily via Zoom to navigate the company through the crisis. All of our current work, both hire and manufacture, has stopped, says production director Jonathan Lipman. It has left us in a very difficult situation in terms of what happens next. Like Raven, he is confident his company will bounce back as long as the furlough scheme extends to cover the entire period that theaters are closed. And he is concerned that many of the freelance costume makers Angels relies on are in a precarious position. There is a danger of an entire section of the industry falling through the net, he says, clearly nervous that even when the work does come back, there will be a shortage of skilled personnel to do it. But he is buoyed by conversations he has had with some of Angel's clients, which include West End, Big Hitters, Hamilton, and Wicked. We've had dialogue with a few production companies that are optimistic. They can start up again as soon as government guidelines allow, which is encouraging. Like many in the theater industry, suppliers are concerned about government support falling away too quickly after lockdown, making it difficult for the industry to recover in the long term. And despite reorganizing their workshops and warehouses to accommodate social distancing, there are no easy solutions for handling what is likely to be a difficult transition period. As Littman puts it, there is not going to be a light switch moment when everything starts up again. Headlam feels the crisis has highlighted some longer-term issues, not least the reliance on expensive equipment. He claims that with designers and technicians increasingly demanding the latest toys, costs have spiraled. The whole industry has gotten into a problem because the person dictating the size of the check is not the person writing it. That's an insane way to operate. But he says the lockdown has forced a rethink while driving the company to use all of its creativity to find a way through. All those years working against the clock to open the doors and let the first audience in have taught us enormous resilience and inventiveness. Orville's software teams are busier than ever developing new products for the future. Our project managers have become builders, knocking down walls and modernizing the warehouse. Everyone is learning new skills. Even if live events do return in some form by the autumn, there are still big unknowns regarding how many people will be happy to attend them. As Littman acknowledges, nothing will really return to normal until audiences feel safe. When we spoke, his biggest concern was whether the government will continue the furlough scheme. A few days after the interview, Chancellor Rishi Sunak announced the extension of the scheme until October, and freelance support until that point that ven venues have fully reopened. He has approached BECTU to initiate a discussion about lobbying the government on behalf of costume makers. On the tech side, even greater help may be needed. Headlam estimates there is as much as 1.8 billion pounds in borrowed finance across the industry, and he says many producers are in the dark regarding the true financial situation of their suppliers, mistakenly assuming they own the kit outright. Supply companies have ongoing leasing and higher purchase commitments on the equipment that is currently in the theaters. Just because the Prime Minister rightly tells people not to go to the theater, that does not mean those obligations don't carry on. He even raises the grim prospect of equipment being repossessed from theaters if companies are forcibly dissolved. But he emphasizes the so that solutions can be found if all links of the supply chain pull together. We truly hope that when our industry reopens, we will all remember how to multitask, how to muck in, how to support others when under pressure. Theater is best when created by a team. Let's hope our industry remembers that and is better for it in the long term. Page 3. Switching gears to classical music, this story was brought to you by Imogen Tilden and it appears at theguardian.com. A glimmer of hope 
the leading performers returned to London's Wigmore Hall. Musicians, including Mark Padmore, Mitsuko Uchida, Angela Hewitt, and Stephen Huff, feature in Empty Hall concert series to be broadcast on BBC Radio 3 in June. The BBC and the Wigmore Hall on Tuesday announced a concert series that will see leading musicians return to the London stage for the first time since the lockdown. It marks the first live music broadcast on Radio 3 since 16th of March. 20 hour-long concerts featuring soloists or duos will take place at 1 p.m. each weekday throughout June and will be live-streamed on the venue's website and broadcast on Radio 3 and BBC Sounds, part of the BBC's Culture in Quarantine initiative. All concerts will then be available on demand for 30 days. The musicians will perform to an empty hall with a minimal technical setup. The Wigmore Hall has a well-established live-stream program and an existing partnership with Radio 3, which broadcasts the venue's Monday lunchtime concerts. When we shut the hall on March 16th, we made sure to leave the piano on the stage and the camera and audio equipment, all of which can be operated remotely in place, said the venue's artistic director, John Gillooly. With only one or two performers on stage, it's very possible to make this work within government guidelines observing social distancing. There'll be one producer backstage for Wigmore Hall, one producer for Radio 3, and we need someone to tune and then antiviral the piano. The artists will come on stage from separate entrances. The presenter will sit in the middle of the hall. I will sit in the balcony and will communicate via radio, email, and texts. Extra constraints have come into play in terms of the choice of musicians. All the performers live in or near London, and most have pledged to travel to the venue either on foot or by bicycle, says Galuli. We are lucky that the level of international musicians living in central London is phenomenal, he said. The move represented a glimmer of hope. Performers include singers Eston Davies and Roderick Williams, as well as pianists Benjamin Grosvenor, Angela Hewitt and Paul Lewis, Mark Padmore and Mitsuko Uchida, and the series with Schubert's song cycle, Winteries. Pianist Stephen Huff begins it on June 1st with the Bach Busoni Chacon and the Schumann Fantasie. I am honored and delighted, he said, although I am slightly anxious about how it will feel to leave the house and go to work again. It seems an age since I stood in the wings, preparing to walk towards a piano. Live music is in the DNA of Radio 3. Its loss is felt by all, not just at home, but also in the music industry. It is a great joy to restore this service to the nation while also ensuring maximum health and safety, said Alan Davey, controller of BBC Radio 3 and classical music. Just as Myra Hess's concerts at the National Gallery played such an important part in boosting morale during the Second World War, Davey hopes the concerts will help those craving the sense of human connection between artist and audience and the excitement that live performance brings in a time when theaters, galleries, cinemas, and concert halls have again been forced to close. We would like to be able to expand the initiative to other venues across the UK later in the year. It's early days, but discussions are ongoing, he said. We don't know where it will be or what activity will be allowed, but the classical industry is creative and resourceful. We all have to find ways of reaching our audience and of continuing to make a living. It's important to keep things going. BBC's involvement in the June series allows the expenditure to be shared and, said Galuli, an anonymous donor has underwritten the Wigmore Hall's costs. But going forward, how to fund broadcastable quality live music making without ticket sales is something there is no easy answer to, and the culture industry faces enormous challenges. There's huge anxiety, said Gluli. Eventually, organizations will run out of cash. Some are already in serious trouble. There is no money in circulation at the moment. It's going to be very tough getting our balance sheets right again. Major investors have been hit badly. 
I don't think there will be as much sponsorship circulating in the months and years to come. Wigmore Hall is okay for now, but if this goes on past Christmas, I don't know. No one has any idea of how the rules and regulations are going to change, but none of us are going to come back from the one from this 100% of what we were. This is uncharted territory. One thing I do know is that it is unworkable to open venues to only small audiences. The Wigmore Hall will hemorrhage if we have 20% houses. Plus, how do you socially distance people in areas such as the foyer, the bars, or on the way to the toilets? Gululi laments the lack of official clarity. I wish at the onset the government had been clearer. It would be much better for them to have said, you must close until New Year's Eve, and then we could have planned accordingly. While, whether at Glastonbury in a theater or at a football match, there's a magic around live performance, he added. That is also so important for mental health and well-being. This is the first positive thing for the industry for many months. It's a glimmer of hope, he said. There is no substitute for hearing music live, even if the auditorium on this occasion will be empty. With only BBC microphones as audience, said Huff. This may only be a poking of a head above the parapet for now, but it's clear sign that we're back. Page 4. From our friends at Variety.com, The Expendable Studios' new Boyana in Bulgaria reopens. This story was brought to you by Leo Baraklau. Bulgaria's new Boyana film studios, owned by Avi Lerner's Millennium Media and home to the Expendables franchise, is reopening for production with anti-COVID-19 protocols and preparations being put in place. The move follows the reopening of the Bulgaria economy on May 13th in anticipation of travel restrictions being lifted on June 14th. During the pandemic, we took some time to focus on development and to analyze the market moving forward. We've emerged with a new strategy that aims to help producers get back to work and fulfill the lack of content we see hitting us a few months down the line, said Yariv Lerner, chairman of New Boyana. On May 13th, the studio opened with the maintenance crew cleaning, repairing, sanitizing, and installing the new requirements such as hand sanitizing stations, social distancing protocols, and overall repair in order to be ready for this new phase of production. Duboyana is working with Bulgaria's Minister of Health to allow for a testing procedure that works well for both production and for the safety of everyone involved. The studio said in a statement, the, pro the proposal is to test within three days of travel to the location, test on arrival, and test again two days later to ensure that a member of cast or crew are negative for the virus. After completing this process and testing negative, they will be permitted to go back to work. The new protocols are being reviewed by the government and will be published on www.newboyana.com when ratified. There will be two separate sets, one for commercials and the second for movies, which have different requirements. As well as the Expendables franchise, Millennium is also known for Olympus Has Fallen and London Has Fallen, The Hitman's Bodyguard, and Mechanic Resurrection. Recent films include Angel Has Fallen and the reboot of the Rambo franchise, Rambo. Last Blood. Our final story for tonight comes from our friends at USITT. Michaela Lockin, a graduate from the UMD School of Fine Arts with a BFA in Scenic Design and a BA in Anthropology, is their feature for today in their series of posts from designers whose productions were canceled or postponed due to the global COVID-19 pandemic. Here's how Michaela described her design. For the concept of the show, we wanted to take inspiration from the Lower East Side of Manhattan in the 50s and 60s. We talked about wanting a feeling of somewhere that was not such a nice place for outsiders, where dark things could definitely happen, but that still had the possibility of transformation, as we see how the plant affects the community throughout the show. 
I want to utilize some forced perspective and variety in texture in the architecture to create a feeling of depth on stage. While researching, I was drawn to the look of elevated train tracks and the idea of places beneath that usually get passed over, places that are dark and dirty and uninviting. This developed into the idea that the show takes place under the elevated train. I used three portals in the style of an elevated track structure to give a feeling of compression to the overall look of the design. To check out Michaela's work, please visit USITT's Facebook page, as well as many of their other social media platforms. Before I conclude today's podcast, I once again want to extend my gratitude to the members of our armed services, to our healthcare workers, our nurses, and doctors, our first responders, our police, fire, and emergency service officers around the world. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Please join me in continuing to support these women and men as they face this near impossible task of saving the lives in face of such great adversity. Please support your local food banks and shelters. If possible, donate blood at one of your local Red Crosses. Be sure to check in on the elderly and support those who have special needs. Reach out to a friend and help not only make their day, but also improve your own. Please support your small and local businesses as well. Be sure to continue to practice good hygiene, the wearing of personal protective equipment, and social distancing. I'd like to conclude today with a poem from English poet Christina Rossetti, who was born in the 1830s. This poem is titled, Remember. Remember me when I am gone away, gone far away into the silent land, when you can no more hold me by the hand, nor I have turned to go yet turning stay. Remember me when no more day by day. You tell me of our future that you planned, only remember me, you understand. It will be laid to counsel then or pray. Yet if you should forget me for a while, and afterward remember, do not grieve. For if the darkness and corruption leave a vestige of the thoughts that once I had, better by far you should forget and smile than that you should remember and be sad. My name is Richard Bryant, and I have been your host. It's May 19th, 2020. This has been the Corona Chronicles, Day 68. Take care, be well, and good night.